Okay, I think we're recording. Do you want me to try it? Yeah. Whoa. It's recording. Do you want me to check and see if it's going? Yeah. Alright, so we're assuming this is recording. Alright, James, you want to listen to further? Dear God, we thank you so much for this time that we have that we can come before you, that we can study a portion of your word. We pray that as we study that we will be focused, that we will be able to concentrate, that we will be able to look at Ezekiel in its text and truly try to understand it for what it says. We pray that that we will look only at your word, that we won't try to go to things that we have just thought up, but that we will truly just look at the word and what it says. Pray for Gary, he's teaching, that he can that he can have quick recollection of what he's prepared, we will only speak your word. So thank you so much for your son and all that he did for us. In his name we pray. Amen. You remember how in this section of Ezekiel, nearly every other chapter is using some sort of a parable or a figure or something that way, and we're uh, back to that here in chapter 19, um, with uh, some zoological images, particularly dealing with lions. And uh, so would somebody read in chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. As for you, take up a lamentation for the princes of Israel and say, What was your mother, a lioness among lions? She lay down among young lions, she reared her cubs. When she brought up one of her cubs, he became a lion, and he learned to tear his prey. He devoured men. Then nations heard about him. He was captured in their pit, and they brought him with hooks to the land of Egypt. When she saw, as she waited, that her hope was lost, she took another of her cubs and made him a young lion, and he walked, among, he walked about among the lions. He became a young lion, he learned to tear his prey, he devoured men, he destroyed their fortified towers and laid waste their cities, and the land and its fullness were appalled because of the sound of his roaring. Then nations set against him on every side from their provinces, and they spread their net over him. He was captured in their pit. They put him in a cage with hooks and brought him to the king of Babylon. They brought him in hunting nets so that his voice would be heard no more on the mountains of Israel. Alright, so we are taking up a lamentation for the princes of Israel. A lamentation means what? Yeah. Weeping, wailing, mourning. Yeah, and in this case, probably like a funeral song. A, a mournful song. The princes of Israel generally, by in Ezekiel, refer to what? Uses the word prince of Israel, where we would use the word king. king because he didn't view these as anything more than princes. Mm-hmm. And so that's what this is sort of uh, captioned as being. Now he speaks of uh, this uh, lioness who brings up one of her cubs to become a lion. And when he becomes a lion, what does he do? Yeah, he's a fearsome lion. He uh, devours men. And then what happened to that first uh, lion there? He's captured and taken off. Yes, 
taken by hooks where? To Egypt. The land of Egypt. So here is a fearsome lion that could make you feel like nothing could ever stop him. A lion who had a particular taste for human flesh. But this lion was captured and brought to the land of Egypt. Now, what do you suppose this lion represents? Them. Who? Them. Them who? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think it's a particular people. What did you say, Mom? You think it's the leftovers? No. No. The, um, it's not the so Israelites. Not, I think it was like the pre-Israelites. No. no. Okay. Go back to verse 1. The princes of Israel. Oh, so we're talking about a specific king. Yes. Good call. Was the king that was taken to Egypt? Yes. Was it, um... Thank you very much. Oh, there it is right there. 609. Jehoahaz, Shalom, Egypt. Yeah, Shalom is his other name. Where did we find him? Second crawl. Well, anywhere you like. <laughs> we find him in Egypt eventually, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Why do I find him in the Bible? Well, you can look at the end of Second Kings or the end of Second Chronicles, or you can look at Jeremiah 22. Second Kings, what? Oh, right there at the end. What about 23? 23, 24, perhaps? I don't know. <laughs> what about the answer? Wow. You should definitely study things like the Kings, because if I had known that, then I would have known what I was talking about. Spell yeah. J-E-H-O-A-H-A-Z. That's correct. Yeah, look at uh, 2 Kings 23-33. And then he ended up in 34, taking him away, brought him to Egypt, and he died there. I have a question. Huh. All right. Doha has wasn't ever really what we consider somebody who is all that great. And so as he described as a lion that tore his prey, when he wasn't really ever somebody who would tear prey, he was more of the prey. Well, he had a three-month reign. I reckon he could fall around some in that. But he didn't. I don't know. Maybe he did. I mean, we don't have that in any record. It says he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to what his fathers have done. I don't think we've got any details of what his three-month reign was like, or even what his life had been like before that. Okay, I, I need a refresher. When is Ezekiel writing? Uh, well, he was taken into captivity in the second wave of captives, and he started uh, prophesying about five years into that. So he starts in about 592 and comes on down past the time that the nation was taken into captivity. So he would have started about 20 years after Jehovah uh, no, I Well, yeah, not quite. Uh, more like a 17 or something like that. Okay, so Jehoahaz would already be dead. I don't know. Not necessarily. He's an agent. He's an agent, but I don't know when he died. He was young. He was 23. 
Well, I don't know the section. I've got to finish Revelation. I'll go back to Chronicles. Jehoahaz was taken into Egypt. Yes. And he wasn't killed, but Jehoiakim then reigned after Jehoahaz, even though Jehoahaz is not dead, he's just in Egypt. That's correct. The Egyptians put Jehoiakim in on the throne. As the puppet. Yes, more or less. Although he rebelled against them and all that. Okay. So Actually, he didn't rebel. Nebuchadnezzar came in and forced him to rebuild Babylonian. So this is a lamentation for Jehoahaz? Yes. Why? I mean, he never amounted to anything, so why would you be mourning him? Well, he was a king of Israel who, you know, they, he may still be living, but we're taking up his funeral song. I mean, the kings of Israel or Judah are not amounting to anything through here. That's part of the problem. These lions are getting hooked and trapped and taken away. And he's sort of a foreshadowing of what's going to happen next. Just like Jehoahaz was taken off into captivity. She took another of her cubs and laid him in. She did. And uh, which one was this? Well, what does he do? He goes to Babylon. Yeah, what did he do during his career? Uh, he hung out with other lions and turned to terrorist prey and devoured men and destroyed cities. And yeah, he was a mean dude. Bored a lot, apparently. And what ended up happening to him? Net pit hook. And where? Babylon. So who was this? That guy. That's what I think. Why? The very last one. Yes, but why? Because he, took, he was taken off to Babylon. Okay, tell me where that is. Uh, that's the, the very last end chapter of Second Kings and very last chapter of Second Kings. It is one twenty-five. Is one of them twenty-five? I said Kings twenty-five. Is that five or twenty-six? Thanks, Chronicles 36. Yeah, that too. the Lord, he didn't humble himself, he rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar. So, who was it again? I think it's Zedekiah. Therefore, he brought him up against the king of the Chaldeans. Where is he taken? Babylon. There's who had escaped from the sword uh, of the Where's that thing Chronicles 36? Okay. That's why we began Ezekiel studying history. But what about all the other kings between Jehoaz and Zekai? Like, why aren't they? Yeah. I don't because know. they weren't brothers. Yeah, they were. Some of them were. Um, I don't know, um, and there's a debate, there's a quite a bit of debate about this second line. Uh, there are some other options, but I think it's probably best to take him as Zedekiah. And what happened to Jehoahaz is more or less a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to Zedekiah. Please spell Zedekiah. Z-E-D-E-K-I-H. I don't know what they did, but I can spell them. <laughs> Because, because Zedekiah and Jehoahaz were brothers. Correct. They were both. Oh. The, the, their brothers were both Hamatal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And their fathers were both Josiah. Oh. 
now Jehoiakim was Jehoahaz's son. No, Jehoiakim was Josiah's son. He was Jehoahaz's brother? That's correct. And Jehoiachin was Jehoiakim's son. That's correct. And Zedekiah was also Josiah's son. That's correct. So the second line could be Jehoiakim, like if you wanted to go with the idea of brothers. Okay. I'm lost. You stop saying that's correct. <laughs> well, I don't think it's Jehoiakim, but some people think it's Jehoiakim. Some people think it's Jehoiachin, and I lean towards Zedekiah. Jehoiachin would not be a totally bogus idea he because he was also taken to Babylon. Okay. And he would be right after Jehoahaz. Um, wait, he said Jehoiachin. It's in your bag. What do you mean? Hello. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yes. Okay. Jehoiakim and Zedekiah and Jehoahaz the brother. So the only one of those? No. Yes. Jehoiakim's the uncle. What are you talking about? Jehoiachin's the uncle. That's what I said. The brothers are Jehoiakim. Uh, James, 
before you uh, lose you completely, um, actually, the thing about Jehoiakim, he was also taken to Babylon for a while. But didn't he die in Babylon? No. Not Jehoiakim. Jehoiachin died in Babylon. Yes. Jehoiakim was also actually taken to Babylon. He was taken to Babylon, then didn't he, he sit at back. King? No. Jehoiakim. You got to get Kim. Kim and Chin together. Okay, where's Ken? I look at Second Chronicles 36, verse uh, 5 to 8. Second Chronicles 36. Second Chronicles 36, verse 5 to 8. Ken was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him and bound him with bronze chains to take him to Babylon. So Kim had taken off the Babylon. We'll forget the Jehoiah part, because that's too confusing. Okay, and where does Jehoiakim come back? He uh, said he did. So well, he does. Where? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's not saying Chronicles twice. He did whether it's there or not. Jehoiachin came back. Jehoiachin did come back. I was right. No, he didn't either. That's what he at the end of Second Kings. No, he doesn't. It says Chin. What does it say? Well, it doesn't come. What do you mean by back? Jehoiachin is taken out of prison. Right. Twenty-nine. But I don't see where Jehoiachin comes back. I look at Second Kings twenty-four six. Kim's up with his fathers and Second Chen. Kings twenty-four six. Yeah. yeah. So Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, Jehoiachin. Yeah. So he slept with his fathers. Yeah. Where were his fathers? In Israel, I guess. In that. Israel. So was that so he, he came back buried? He buried. Yeah. He <laughs> died there or came back. Does coming back as a dead man count? No. I think he was probably dead, and they just buried him there. Did... The rest of the Acts of Kim were written in the Book of Chronicles. Did he, like, get taken out of prison and, like, instead of the King's Book or whatever? There's many Books of Chronicles. Uh, not necessarily. I'm really confused. Alright. Yeah, bring us back in. I got it. I'm getting lost. Well, alright. We have this lioness, and she has these lions, like Jehovah has, who is taken off into Egypt, and Zedekiah is taken to Babylon. Now there's a debate about whether or not the lion taken to Babylon was Zedekiah, him? or whether or not he was Chin or Kim. I think it's probably better to take it as Zedekiah. I'm okay with taking his Chin. I think it's less likely that it's Kim. Is the lion uh, Josiah? The lioness? No, I think the nation. Okay. James? I have a question. Okay, we have a lioness. So she has, she, we had four kings and we only had two lions. Yeah, so we're just focusing on two of them. So what about the other two? They aren't They're not in this picture. I like, I mean, but we have a three month king mentioned here. Why wouldn't we focus on two elevens? They were more significant. Don't ask me, I didn't write it. <laughs> Didn't it go 311, 311, or did it go 311, 311? Yes. Yeah. Well, is, is this the first and the last king of this set? Um, well, it depends on what set we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, of those four it is. I mean, is there something special about the king who followed? 
Zedekiah? Gedaliah? There was Gedaliah no, no, he wasn't a king. king. Okay. Zedekiah was the last king. Gedaliah was just like a governor. governor. And so the wine? The father of Jehoahaz? Josiah. Israel. Good king. Yes. So the first of the led. <laughs> just thinking of Adams, he was the last good king. Yes. So we have the next king who is bad. Yes. And then we have the last king mentioned. Uh, perhaps it's more like, you know, he's trying to show by what happened to Jehoahaz that the same kind of thing can happen to Zedekiah, except in the opposite direction. He's going to go off into Babylon, just like the other strong lion went off to Egypt. Because Zedekiah has not yet gone to Babylon when this is written. That's my interpretation. Okay. Uh, I don't think there's really anything in Ezekiel up to chapter 33 that occurred after the uh, captivity, after Zedekiah went to Babylon. So I think you're right. Okay. <clears throat> so I think he's using Jehoahaz as kind of a foil for Zedekiah. That makes sense. It's a good word, too, by the way. A foil? Yeah, you understand that? Uh, yeah. not exactly. That is a good I couldn't word. explain it, but yeah, I understand what yeah. you said. I don't understand it. Alright, what's a foil? Is there, you're a good defender. Oftentimes, it's something that is plain, that is placed next to something beautiful, and it enhances the beauty of the beautiful thing by being plain. That's, That's exactly how I'm using it. Yeah, he's spell it. F-O-I-L. That, that's the way that, that I've yeah. that usually, you know. Yeah, I am, yeah, maybe so. I don't know. Like the, the, the contrast between the two items. It's almost like something that's almost like a parable for something else. A comparison is the way I'm using it. A parallel? Like a parallel. Like a parallel. So what are you saying parallel? Well, I'm just saying that what happened to Jehoahaz is more or less a precursor is a shadow of what will happen to Zedekiah. Okay, that would explain to me why he picked those two kings. Zedekiah is the one that they're considering right now, and Jehoahaz is one in the past that closely follows this idea, and so, so he's saying, look what happened to him, that's what's going to happen to Zedekiah. That makes me happy. Did Kim just die? Yeah. Jim's dead. I mean, but he was not taken off in Jim. No. Kim just died. He had been well, taken off in about one. Right but he had come back. Dead. Chen died? Oh, Chen. No, Chen's in Babylon. So Kim is dead, Chen's in Babylon, and Zedekiah is... Going to Babylon. So our time frame right now is somewhere in between... Oh, when Zedekiah reigned. Certainly, because, you know, when Ezekiel was taken into captivity, it was the same time that Chen went into Babylon. Because they went together. They did. They got in the same wave. Who did? Jehoiachin and who else? Ezekiel. Ezekiel. So Ezekiel's just mourning how sad the state of affairs are for the nation. Yeah, and he's sort of chatting a funeral dirge for these two dudes who have not yet died, but they will. For the dudes that haven't died, that will. Jehoahaz. He already died. Jehoahaz? No, he didn't. He's in Egypt. We don't know if he's dead or not. That's correct. And the reason that some folks say that 
the second line is Jehoiachin is because they were, he was taken at the same time Ezekiel was, so therefore... He was taken to Babylon, so you can certainly make an argument. Ooh, three missed calls. How did I do that? You couldn't find it. It was in your bag, not your pocket. It's truck calendar. Let me make sure I'm not all right, do you have other questions or comments on that? All right, let's do 10 to 14. Your mother was like a vine in your vineyard, planted by the waters. It was fruitful and full of branches because of abundant waters. And it had strong branches fit for scepters for rulers, and its height was raised above the clouds, so that it was seen in its heights with the mass of its branches. But it was plucked up in, in fury. It was cast down to the ground, and the east wind dried up its fruit. Its strong branch was torn off so that it withered. The fire consumed it. And now it has planted it in the wilderness, in a dry and thirsty land. And fire has gone out from its branch and consumed its shoots and fruit, so that there is not in it a strong branch, a, separate, a scepter to rule. This is a lamentation, and has become a lamentation. Okay. So... What's he depicting the mother as now? A vine. Like a vine, and how was this vine? Awesome. Yeah. What's what's what makes a vine good? Oh, it's planted by the waters. It's bearing. Yeah. Nice branches. Uh, branches that are scepters for the rulers. So this is a great vine, and what happened to it? It was plucked. It was plucked out, it was yanked out of the ground, cast on the ground, the east wind dried it up, its branch was torn off, fire consumes it. Now where is it at? Wilderness desert. Yeah, dry and thirsty land. There's no shoots, there's no fruit, there's not a strong branch, no scepter to rule. Is this the nation? I think so. That they were... God was taking care of them, and yes. they were just this wonderful, and then... Thriving, flourishing. The enemy comes in because they quit following God, pluck them up, they're now in captivity, and they're just nothing. Yeah. Ezekiel showing what's going to happen to the nation. And their supply of royal scepters, i.e. kings, is over. Hmm. Ezekiel's more or less trying to uh, destroy false hopes. Okay, is this in Babylon or is this the people left in Judah? Or Israel after, after they were destroyed? The people that were planted in the wilderness? Probably, I would say it's the people in Babylon. You say it's the captives. But maybe he's not even being that specific. Maybe he's just, you know, the picture is this nation's, you know, just has a bleak, barren future. When Babylon came in to Judah, did they indulge in a scorched earth policy like the Romans tended to? Not at first, but when Judah was so rebellious, they did at least in Jerusalem. They broke down the walls and tore up the temple and so forth. They, they pretty well devastated Jerusalem. I don't know how they were with the rest of it. But at first, I mean, if, you know, Judah had cooperated, 
they could have continued on as a semi-independent country paying tribute. Because I was just thinking, if you know, the, if the land, this the land flowing with milk and honey had been turned into a wilderness. Yeah, I think it's probably more the the nation has been turned into a wilderness, so much a land figure. <clears throat> and fire has gone out from its branch. Does that mean that fire is shooting from its branches, or there's no longer a light burning on its branch? Oh no, I think uh-huh. it's shooting from its branch, okay. and because it has consumed its shoots and fruit. Why did it be coming out of the branch? Why is it burning itself? Yeah, it seems like it's shooting fire. Because of their wickedness. They did kind of shoot themselves. They're self incinerating themselves. Only you can prevent forest fires. I'd be right here. That's good. Church here and then at Southwood, then here. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't that very close, remember? And it was just on Friday night. We had Lawrence Southwood? Roger and Kevin Wells. I did something with adults then, didn't I? You did something with adults every year. No. Last year I did it with boys. That's right. Wait. Who did it with the adults last year? Alan. All right. Any other observations or fruitless questions about chapter 19? What about chapter 18? 18, you missed your chance. Well, that's why I want to ask right now because I was there. What do you want I to ask? I want to know we, will, we will ask these illustrious students. What was chapter 18 about illustrious students? Well, maybe we can do that later because it's going to be on the recording of chapters 19 and 20. It would be weird for yeah, a review of 18 in between. Did you record it? Yes, we did. There you have it. There you go. <laughs> it was good. I liked it. Uh, chapter 18 is a good chapter. I like chapter 18. Is that? You have one match at six. I'm assuming that's what Yeah, must be. With a white car. Last week and couldn't find it. Really only need four chairs. Mm-hmm. They're too hot. Yep. All right, should we continue or suspend? No, we like that. You can read it. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah. 
anything else, um, Kapitu Bezenavi. Yeah. Um, chapter 19. Kapitu Bezenavi. Is that 14th or something? Yeah, chapter 19. Okay, chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. It came to pass in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord, and sat before me. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Have you come to inquire of me? As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Then make known to them the abominations of their fathers. All right, now we have something here that we've been having some times. What's that? The elders are hanging out in Ezekiel's house again. Yes, do you remember where else that has happened? Yeah. Before he got lifted up by his hair and taken off. That was back in chapter 8, and also in chapter 14. And uh, they again want to inquire of the Lord. Um, They've probably got some questions to ask God. But God's not particularly interested in answering their questions. Rather, they get something they were not expecting. A long discourse on their history, compliments of the Lord. Basically, the case against Israel, the case against God's people, is being set forth. And Ezekiel is responsible to declare to them their abominations. I think he wants Ezekiel, rather than answering their inquiry, to uh, basically, you know, act as the judge and show their condemnation for their misconduct. That's what he really wants him to do. That's what he's going to do. He's going to be the judge and set forth the decree against them, rather than answer their questions. to tell the elders of Israel that have come before Ezekiel a thing or two or three so the elders came to Ezekiel they came to Ezekiel to inquire of the Lord but the Lord's not interested in answering their inquiries he has in mind to do an expose of their abominations (laughs) sometimes you come to the Lord to ask one question the Lord decides to tell you something else why did they come to Ezekiel They've done it in chapter 8 and chapter 14, I guess because Ezekiel was a prophet of the Lord. But he's not told them anything they like to hear. You know, that's the truth. Do they think if they keep coming, he's going to change his answers? I don't know. Would it be the same people? I assume. Sometimes we think if we just, you know, 
we look hard enough, we'll finally find a loophole. I will not be inquired of in you. Not happening. All right. Anything else through four? All right. Five to nine. Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, On the day when I chose Israel and raised my hand in oath to the descendants of the house of Jacob, and made myself known to them, in the land of Egypt, I raised my hand in an oath to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day, I raised my hand in an oath to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt into the land that I had stretched out for them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands. Then I said to them, Each of you throw away the abominations which are before his eyes, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and would not obey me. They, they did not all cast away the abominations which were before their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles among whom they were, and whose side I have made myself known to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Okay. So, um, this basically starts a pattern that we're going to see uh, on several occasions. He goes back to what period of time? Yes, which was basically the time that he chose them, he made them a nation, uh, and as he brought them out from Egypt, he was delivering them from bondage and bringing them into the land flowing with milk and honey. And what was it that God asked them to do? Cast away the detestable things of your eyes and don't defile yourself with idols. Get rid of the idols you had in Egypt, and how did the people respond? They rebelled. And they refused. They rebelled. They did not cast away the detestable things. They didn't forsake the idols of Egypt. And so what did God decide to do? Wrath. Yes, pour out his wrath and anger on them. But what happened? He didn't. He he determined not to do what he had resolved to do, not to destroy them, annihilate them, pour out his anger on them, why did he decide not to do that? For his namesake. What does that mean? Sort of like what Moses argued with them. Yes. That if if you destroy them, the people are going to look at you and say you couldn't do it. Right. It could hurt God's image, God's reputation among the nations, when it makes it look like he's not God enough to fulfill his promises and to deliver them out of uh, Egypt and to bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey. And so while they certainly deserved to be destroyed, they were rebelling and not even out of Egypt yet, God determines for the sake of his own reputation to spare them. Is that found? What found? Yeah. I was going to say. I just said that we're. Where Moses interceded? Yes. Exodus Exodus 32 is one place with the golden calf, and they did it a couple of times. I mean, anybody just to totally annihilate him, and and Moses said, please don't. The people are going to say you couldn't do it. Is that Exodus 32? That's one of the places. 
Moses is intrigued. 11. Why should the Egyptians speak with evil and he brought them out to kill them in the mountain? Just really remember Abraham and Isaac. Yeah. Okay. Looks like maybe Numbers 14, maybe another place. I'm not sure. Just looking at my margin. He does. He uses that argumentation more than once. Yeah, Numbers 14, uh, <coughs> verses 11 to uh, 17 or 18. It's using very same, very same argumentation. All right, James. I have another question. What had they done here? Back up just a little bit. Numbers 14. What That's they when they wouldn't go in. The spies brought back the bad report. Okay. When did they rebel against God in Egypt and refuse to cast away their idols? That's the question I was going to ask. Uh, he, well, when he was bringing them out. When was that? Is, uh, They're still in Egypt. So uh -huh. it can't be the whole cast. No, I think it's before that. Uh, so where is it? Where is it recorded? Is it right here. It's not an Exodus. I don't know. I don't recall anything we've got in Exodus today. They ever rebelled against God and Egypt when we told them to, to take away the Evidently they did. Um, I guess, well, but that wasn't... They were upset with Moses whenever he came because they had to make bricks without straw. Right. I was trying to find a time from when they left Egypt to get to the Red Sea or... Well, look at, what about Amos 5.26? That's in the captivity period, in the uh, wandering of the woman's period. But Amos 5.26 would be a good passage. There may be some other passages in the prophets that indicate that uh, at the moment. I'm not thinking of Ooh, yeah. You also carried along, sucketh your king and kai in your images, the star of your God that you made for yourselves. But still, that's when they're wandering. That's, that's when they're wandering, but it's what they carried over. Uh -huh. Yeah, what, when are you trying to get it? Well, in While they were still in Egypt. It's saying they're still in Egypt. And Ezekiel. <coughs> you think that's when it's, they're still in Egypt? I thought that mm -hmm. was when he brought them because out. Because in verse 10 it says, then I make them go out of the land of Egypt. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. Uh -huh. Or either... Yeah, or verse 10 being, so I took them out of, e of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness and gave them the statutes, you know, so everything before the giving of the law, that period, from Egypt to the beginning. And I was trying to think of, did they rebel hanging out there by the sea? Well, uh, uh, yeah, they were. And did they always get a little upset? They were to Mount Sinai a little bit. Yeah. But I, I don't know if I can come up with a passage where the... Uh, no. no. Somebody else ready to play. It's too many people to play. <laughs> I don't know of a passage in a historical narrative that talks about their idolatry. I don't have any. But I can't necessarily, I don't know, maybe this is a stretch, but they're doing this in the wilderness, by the way, so I can't imagine 
that it's totally foreign to them when God's there. Why would they all of a sudden do idols? I think there's another passage somewhere that talks about this. Just not coming up with it. So I'm sorry about that. Mm-hmm. This is interesting. I mean, it's not unlikely that we would have something that wouldn't be recorded in Exodus that is recorded here. Right. That I agree with. I mean, it wasn't there a point in time when they didn't want to do it. Moses told them to do. Well, yeah. In Egypt. Well, I mean, they were—they didn't want him to be there. Because they were making their brick work harder. Work. I mean, because it was making it worse, really. Yeah, and then Moses even complained to God and said, "Why'd you ever send me? You know, you just made it more miserable on him." That's well, Exodus five twenty-one. They said to them. May the Lord look upon you and judge you, for you have made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. I mean, in Exodus 14, they're like on the edge of the sea, of the Red Sea, and they turn around and see the Egyptians coming after them and look you know, as drew near the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it is for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So, I mean, they're wanting to. Um, I was going to say I've heard that. I know that that phrase appears a few other times later on. What do you mean? Graves there? Just let us mm-hmm. go there. Why'd you leave this couple of way out here? Not sure if that qualifies as. Well, well, they weren't willing to listen to me. They certainly weren't trusting in God at that point. Yeah. They were trusting in Egypt or something, maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, the point here is. God should have wiped him out, but he doesn't because of his reputation. Comments and questions? (coughs) All right, 10 to 17. So I took them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my statutes and informed them of my ordinances by which, if a man observes them, he will live. Also, I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them, that they may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, and they rejected my ordinances, by which, if a man observes them, he will live. And my Sabbath they greatly profaned. Then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them in the wilderness to annihilate them. 
But I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations before whose sight I had brought them out. Also I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands, because they rejected my ordinances, and as for my statutes, they did not walk in them. They even profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart continually went after their idols. Now my eyes spared them rather than destroying them, and I did not cause their annihilation in the wilderness. Okay, so now you've got him bringing you out of the land of Egypt into the wilderness, and what does he do for them? Shows them how to live. Yeah, gives them the statutes and the, the ordinances that give them a way to have life. Obedience to God's laws is the key to real living. And the laws and the statutes are a blessing. That's God, you know, letting you read the directions. Letting you see the map. It's a wonderful thing. And he not only gave them then statutes and ordinances, what else did he give them? The Sabbath. The Sabbath. Which was the sign of the special relationship between him and, and them. And so God brought them out of Egypt and God blessed them with his laws and with his Sabbaths and what did they do? They rebelled. They rebelled. They refused even to live by these statutes and ordinances. And so what did God decide to do? It's time to pour out some wrath. Not only some wrath. Annihilate them. Enough to annihilate them. However, what did God do? Same thing. So as not to disgrace his reputation among the nations, he spared them, although, what did he do? Didn't let that generation go out. That's exactly right. He swore to them in the wilderness he wouldn't bring that generation in to enjoy the land flowing with milk and honey because they had rejected his statutes, profaned his Sabbaths. So God punished them, but he did not punish them as severely as what their sins merited. Comments and questions? I think the end of verse 16 is interesting. For their for their heart continually went after their idols. Yes. I mean, it's which I mean, in one sense, that may explain why we don't necessarily have a historical account of them bowing down to the idols in the desert. Do you know? But but that's not where the problem is. The problem is in your heart. And if, whether you're doing the right thing or not. It's what's where your heart is, what your heart is continually doing. Of course, that's exactly right. Other comments or questions? Eighteen to twenty-six. I said to their children in the wilderness. Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, or keep their ordinances, or defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes, and keep my ordinances, and observe them. Sanctify my Sabbaths, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes, 
nor were they careful to observe my ordinances, by which, if a man observes them, he will live. They profaned my Sabbaths, so I resolved to pour out my wrath on them, to accomplish my anger against them in the wilderness. But I withdrew my hand, and acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I have brought them out. Also I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them among the lands, because they had not observed my ordinances, but had rejected my statutes and had profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were on the idols of their fathers. I also gave them statutes that were not good and ordinances by which they could not live, and I pronounced them unclean because of their gifts, in that they caused all their firstborn to pass through the fire, so that I might make them desolate, in order that they might know that I am the Lord. By what time period is this? Well, it's still in the wilderness at first. Yes, but who are we looking at here in the wilderness? Their children, so it'll be after... So this is the second generation, yes. yes. Second generation. So we move from the leaving Egypt to the first generation of the wilderness now to the second generation of the wilderness. And God told them to keep the statutes, to avoid idols, to walk in the statutes, to sanctify the Sabbaths. God gave them all these things, but what did they do? There is a hard bedrock of disobedience in the national character of Israel. God tells them what to do, and they're bound to determine they're not going to do it. As a result, God decided to do what? Pour out his wrath. Yes. But he withdrew again. Why? Again? For the sake of his name. Do you think, though, this pattern... Would this be enough for the children of Israel to see, to think, oh, God's never going to do it? Maybe. <clears throat> so that they're really surprised. God never did do it. No, but they got worse. Being taken into captivity, I think, was more than they ever expected. Maybe so. But it's still not what they deserved. No. But it's more than what he had been doing. Mm -hmm. You know, sort of like the parent threatening and threatening and never doing it and never doing it. And then finally something a little worse did happen. Yeah, although he didn't let that first generation go into the land of Mokanani. I mean, there's some punishments. Yeah, that's true. And and so here, God God withdrew. He's not going to destroy them. Um, But he gave them... um, well, basically, he, he let them go into the gutter so they'd know he was the Lord. Um, what says, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations? Yes. I just turn back to Deuteronomy 4.27. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you shall be left few in number among the nations where the Lord shall drive you. But I don't know where that's at. I mean, what, what that is. Right there. Where was it? Uh, Deuteronomy 4.27. See, that's Moses talking to uh, the second generation. So watch yourself carefully. Is this like the blessings and curses? Deuteronomy 4 what? 27. Okay, so watch yourself that you do not forget the covenant of the Lord which he made with you and etc., Moses talking to that second generation right, right before they cross into the land. Yeah. 
when you act corruptly and make an idol, then you're going to perish, and you're going to be scattered, and bad things will happen. Therefore, don't. The land is the Lord's. They have a limited lease on it. And when they are unfaithful like this, God will send them to captivity, but he doesn't annihilate them like he really could have and should have. Might have. So scattering them among the nations is sending them into captivity. Yes. So over and over again, while God punishes, he doesn't punish them as severely as what they deserve. and questions through 26. What does verse 25 mean? That's a very good question. I think it means that he allowed them to go astray. That he, if they wanted to believe a lie, he'd give them something to believe. Like sending them the strong delusion in Thessalonians 2. So he gave them these commandments to offer child sacrifices and so forth. And in other words, he allowed them to have those kinds of religions and concepts. Could it be a reference to Saul? <clears throat> I don't know. You know, he gave them the king that they were looking for, even though it wasn't good for them? Well, that may be true, but I think this is a lot broader than that. I don't think it's just talking about Saul. I see. So God let them be deceived by these false teachings so they would do things that they deserve to be punished over. Alright. Uh, well, at first I thought it would be like for some reason the giving of the law. No, I think these are like the the ordinances of the nations and the pagan ideas and so forth. God's basically letting them go. He's turning them over to rampant idolatry. Alright, 27 to 32. son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Yet in this your fathers have blasphemed me by acting treacherously against me. When I had brought them into the land which I swore to give to them, then they saw every high hill and every leafy tree, and they offered there their sacrifices, and there they presented the provocation of their offering. There also they made their soothing aroma, and there they poured out their drink offerings. Then I said to them, What is the high place to which you go? So its name is called Bama to this day. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Will you defile yourselves after the manner of your fathers and play the harlot after their detestable things? When you offer your gifts, when you cause your sons to pass through the fire, you are defiling yourselves with all your idols to this day. And shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel? As I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. What comes into your mind will not come about when you say, We will be like nations, like tribes of the land, serving wood and stone. Okay, um, this brings it down to their present day, um, because it's easy to think that, well, they were all bad, these previous generations, 
but he says, your father's blaspheme. You know, they come into this land and flowing with milk and honey, and what do they do? They hang out under trees and sacrifice to idols. Yes. Every high hill, a place where they would sacrifice. Absolutely. They took advantage of every hill and every tree in the land God gave them to worship and serve idols, foreign gods, false gods. He gave them the land and they abuse it to do things that are detestable to the Lord. So their rebellion against God was not just a matter of the distant past. They continued doing that. They continued defiling themselves. They wanted to be like the nations around. And so it created this tremendous barrier between God and the people. You know, he's just trying to show them where they're really at. They are just like their fathers. In rebellion against God. And then they want to ask God questions? What are they thinking? They are using God. They're not serving God. Verse 31, when you cause your sons to pass through the fire, you're defiling yourselves with all your idols to this day. Shall I be inquired of you by the Lord, by, uh, by you, O house of Israel? As I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. What comes into your mind will not come about when you say, we will be like the nations, like the tribes of the land, serving wood and stone. I'm not going to do things the way you want me to. Uh, there may be other possibilities, but that's the way I'm reading. You know, you think everything's okay. You think that I can, you can serve me. Well, that's not the, that's not the way it is. There's a tremendous barrier between God and the people. So, what do you think is coming into their mind that they want to come about? God answering their questions? Mm-hmm. Okay. In the same way that other, the other gods and other nations would. I mean, in you go and you ask and 
the guy looks at the goat entrails and said, ah, it will rain tomorrow. <laughs> well, I just God's not going to answer these elders who've come to inquire because they're not serving God. Why should God answer their questions? Why should God do anything for them? Because they are, you know, serving wood and stone. Ask the wood and stone then. You mean like what they have in their mind is that they're going to ask things about from God? I think so. I mean, I think they want to know how things are going, what's going to happen, when they're going to go back, and God's I not going to answer them. Okay, I really thought that what they had in their mind was the second half of 32, where they're I like, I'm not we're going to do like a job. No, I think he's okay, saying, it. okay, they're coming to ask of God. That's what they're thinking. They're like, okay, we're going to go ask the Lord. And the Lord is like, while you, you're thinking that you're going to ask me, but you're busy serving other gods. So he's saying, while you're saying, we're going to be like the Gentiles, we're going to serve other gods, then when you think about asking me, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to answer you. Does that make sense? I could be wrong, but that's where I'm reading. Especially connected with verse 31. Shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel? As I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. What comes into your mind will not come about. When you say, we'll be like the nations, like the tribes of the land, serving wood and stone. When you're determined to serve wood and stone, oh. don't you think you can inquire of me? Okay, that could be wrong. So they're saying that they're, they're going to try to do both. Of course. They're going to try to inquire of the Lord, <coughs> but at the same time, they're also saying, we're going to be like everybody else and, and serve these other... Sure. And, in, and they are. They're like everybody else in serving the wrong yeah. gods. They're two-faced. It just seems a little funky grammar there or something. Yeah. Yeah. And there may be something, something I've not seen. In that, you know, it looks like you're associating the first part of 32 with the last 32, and you should be associating it with the last 31. I mean, and the punctuation here is when you say, colon, quote, we will be like. Yeah, but the overall point is not tough. I mean, it's yeah. God has over and over and over again spared them when He really probably, you know, in a way He shouldn't have. They didn't. They didn't merit it, and they're still acting like this. They are still not submitting to the Lord. They're still trying to go after all these idol, idol gods. After God had spared them over and over again, this is God's complaint against them. They're just like their fathers. Well, 33 to 39. As I live, says the Lord God. Surely with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out, I will rule over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the country that you scattered. With a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, 
and there I will plead my case with you face to face. Just as I pleaded my case with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will plead my case with you, says the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the country where they dwell, that they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, Go, serve every one of you his idols, and hereafter, if you will not obey me. But profane my holy name no more with your gifts and your idols. Okay. So, God says, As I live, surely with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Now, in the past, how has God used his mighty hand and his outstretched arm? Yeah, to deliver his people, like in the Exodus. But in this case, and it's and with wrath poured out. God's going to use his mighty hand and his outstretched arm to bring them out to judge them, to punish them, to pour out his wrath on them. The language of salvation here becomes the language of judgment. Because they have become God's enemies. God's going to purify them. He's going to enter into judgment with them face to face. He's going to purge them. He's going to, to destroy the wicked among them so that he can come up with a purified remnant that he can bless. He's going to sort the sheep. And who's he going to be king over? His people. Those that he's just punished or the ones Those that he's punishing. He's gonna he's gonna rule over them and he's gonna he's gonna purge out. He's gonna he's gonna judge and exterminate the wicked and, and purify out of a remnant that are faithful. He's gonna purge the rebels, those transgress. God can't bless them until he does that. Until he can get them to repent and purge out a a remnant that's faithful, he can't bless them. So even the ones who are going to be blessed are also going to be punished first? Well, I don't know whether you should look at that that way or he's going to purge out the wicked and rebellious to leave out, to leave behind a few that are purified out. Okay. Maybe 39 would say, you know, you're gonna, everyone's going to serve his idols, but then after the judgment of purification, they're going to uh, purify themselves and serve God. Okay. Yes, Sarah. When she was reading, what I have is enter into judgment was pleading, pleading your case. In my case. Oh, did you read me the judgment? Verse 35. Verse 35. Um, mine says my case in verse 35. I'll bring you to the wilderness of peoples, and there I will plead my case with you face to face. This says enter into judgment. Ah. So one of it, one sounds like, this sounds like I'm going to be the judge, and the other sounds like I'm going to be a, a lawyer. <laughs> And Big more translation. 
I don't know, this section is kind of weird. Like, he starts out saying that he's going to punish them, and then by the end of it, I guess even going on farther than what we've read so far, he is talking about how he's going to punish them. Yes. So, it seems, it kind of reminds me of the Valley of Acorn. Yes! So, Excellent! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can work at it. Wait, so I'm like thinking that even the righteous people would have to, or I mean, even the people who are eventually going to be blessed are going through some punishment at this time. I'll buy that. Okay. Yeah, it's the purging <laughs> that leads to the blessing. Okay. It's the chaste, chastisement that leads to the, the glory. Passing under the rod, though, is not necessarily a punishment thing. That's a selection thing. I think so. Because I mean, I looked back into Leviticus, where it talks about the lamb. You know, of all those who pass under the rod, every tenth lamb will be taken, or something, mm-hmm. counting out the tithe. The mm-hmm. I think he's going to. He's going to separate the or sort the sheep. together with all your holy things. I will accept you as a sweet aroma when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered. I will be held in you before the Gentiles. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, into the country for which I raised my hand in an oath to give to your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your doings with which you were defiled, and you shall loathe yourselves in your own sight because of all the evils that you have committed. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, when I have dealt with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doings. O house of Israel, says the Lord God. Right. So where were they going to serve God at? On the mountain. On the holy mountain, which would be where? Jerusalem. Instead of serving him where had they been serving him? On the high places. This is God's special holy mountain versus the high places that they chose for themselves. And there the whole house of Israel, all of them will serve me in the land and it'll just be wonderful. Um, You know, God will accept their soothing aroma. Uh, God will prove himself holy. Uh, They're going to be blessed and they're going to know that he's the Lord. And it's going to create a real change in them. This purified remnant that the Lord is able to bless again, how are they going to feel about their past? They loathe themselves. You know, we skipped this step. That was my sermon yesterday morning. This would have been a good passage. We forget the step of godly sorrow of really being hurt and shamed and humbled by our sins. We want to laugh it off. We want to get it over with and get it behind us. 
there you will remember all your ways and all your deeds with, with which you've defied yourselves, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for all the evil deeds that you've done. We need to be shamed, shamefully contrite. And, and as they are humbled, then God moves to forgive them and deal with them not like they deserved, but according to his grace. So God God purged and punished to the point that they came to recognize the seriousness of their sins and humbled themselves and repented. And it looks like only after this self loathing self self yes. loathing. After that point, that's when you can know that he is God. Absolutely. Until we really accept responsibility for our conduct, until we understand how deeply we've hurt the Lord, we don't really have much of a relationship with Him. Comments? I say, I've, I've been noticing again, we've got that. Then you will know that I am the Lord theme happening again. Yes. So that's like the theme of Ezekiel. Yes, you're noticing. <laughs> I've underlined it like every time it's there. Someone has said that knowing that he's the Lord, that's the burning passion of Ezekiel's ministry. It is everywhere. It is a bunch of times. A bunch of bunch of times. As often as Son of Man is mentioned. Probably so. No, no, I haven't been underlined. Man's in there a lot too. There's an entire plethora of questions in there. This whole chapter has a lot of repetitive things. Him making the oath and him wanting to pour out his wrath. Exactly. Exactly. So I underlined them in all different ways. You got the underline, the bracket, the squiggly line, the square bracket. I never Brackets are fun. Little boxes, circles. I do that. Circles with lines. They tend to be kind of like squares with rounded corners, though. When you're trying to circle like whole passages, the circles are not very circular. I'm not a big fan of highlighting, though. No. Paper's too thin. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) They're talking their own language. I'm to the end of where I'm going to go for today, anyway, because 45 starts a new chapter, even though it's not generated like this. Yes, it's over 16, chapter 21, it's really funny in my version. Uh, Verse 16? Oh, I know. There's lots of exclamation marks. Yeah, verse 16 and 21 is kind of interesting. But yeah, this this is a definitely a terrible chapter, like 45. Mine doesn't have any exclamation marks. I don't have exclamation marks. Well, verse 16. You do? Yeah, I do not. Oh, I'm so sad. Good. I'm trying to. I need to order myself one. I don't know if you know enough to be able to say that. Almost everybody says this. Who's almost everybody? Everybody that has ESV. Like who? Like who? 
more literal. I was gonna say the ESV is pretty good. You have it. I, I have a couple this? of them actually. Can you stop on this? ESV? I don't know. I haven't read enough of it in there to. Yeah. Nice shot. That 